Welcome, citizens of the globe, to the Front End Heroes podcast, where we discuss all things villainous and heroic about the front end of software development. My name is Evan Payne, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Scott Francis. How are you, Scott? I'm really good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing pretty good myself. Um, Getting kind of tired, continually tired. I think that's a global phenomenon, but otherwise pretty good. Yeah, yeah, I think that's, you're definitely right there. Everybody's like kind of in the same boat. Read a few things this week about that. And um, like everybody, especially especially working mothers out there, seem to be like really struggling with the whole thing, which I can attest to. Um, like it's uh, difficult times, but still the work continues. And um, that can be plenty interesting too. Absolutely. The work is uh, is fantastic for me. Um, I really love what I do. So <laughs> that part is okay. It's just general. Yeah, I don't know. Not enough exercise. I think I said that last time as well. <laughs> it hasn't changed since then. In any case, um, today's episode, as ever, is sponsored by Netcentric, an award-winning Adobe Global Alliance partner. And both Scott and I work here as senior front-end software engineers, and we are still so glad to have their support with this show. Um the title of today's show is Faster Than a Speeding Bullet, um, and it's um, we want to talk a bit about performance in general, web performance. And um, it's a big topic, so I wanted to start by saying, Scott, wh- what does it mean to you when people talk about performance? For me, um, it really focuses on like the, the user experience. Um, it really focuses on... Um, how delightful we could make the website. Um, some of the sub, I mean, some of the subjects uh, matter for websites could perhaps be quite dry, and so to say, making it delightful is um, that seems a funny thing. But honestly, we've all been on websites that are really great um, and perform really fast, or and we've been on the the other type of website which is really slow and you start like rage clicking and you don't know what the hell's going on uh you think it's broken the page jumps all over the place so you're already pushing a button and the button disappears and then suddenly you've opened up an ad um and it's just uh, it's just absolutely horrible um so to me the main thing about performance is cutting all of that out and making your site delightful which i think um, as a standard, well, not think, no. As a standard, um, the projects that we work on at the moment within NetCentric um, aim for that as like a default. Um, but as with all these things, there's room for improvement. Um, so in a nutshell, it's about making things a great user experience. Yeah, I like that. Um, there, There is a lot of overlap with the user experience of it. And for me, it, it's a lot about the perception that the user has. Um, and, and it has a lot to do with speed, which is, you know, it's appropriate. It's the performance of it. It is the how fluid um, and and in-depth they are allowed to go into the experience. When things get, animation gets janky, you know that you're taxing the computer. It's like, you know, when you used to play whatever, Counter-Strike or something on your PC and it would start to lag, you were maxing out the capabilities. And that made you feel like, oh, this thing's a piece of crap. <laughs> and you would like, you know, hit the side of your computer or whatever. Nowadays, we're trying to erase that. We're trying to make everything feel like we got you. No problem. Um, and that's the ideal, right? Um, but it's not always that easy. Um, 
we're constantly like growing our bundle sizes in terms of what we deliver to the the client. So much of this stuff that used to be back end is is now on the front end and is being done in the client side because it's faster for us to see it. And so it feels like it's better to do it there. Um, and the back end can be quite complex and we don't want to touch that. And then, you know, we're now like leading the show half of the time as front enders. So they take our opinions more seriously than before. And yeah, I, I feel like we've gotten ourselves into a mess. And there's been that article going around as well of like, you know, do we need to have a discussion about this? And do we need to start moving stuff over back to the servers again? Um, but yeah, we've gotten ourselves into a bit of a pickle. Um, I mean, Scott, you've run into a place with your project, I think now, where you're being asked or you're having an opportunity to start to actually look in detail of how is this site that we've built over the last few years performing and what can we do to improve it? What's that been like for you? Um, well, all of this kicked off really because, um, and it was through client interest. Um, and it's something that um, we've always had in mind. Basically, I'm taking up your point that um, things are becoming more and more um, front end. Um, we still try and do as much as we can on the back end. Um, but obviously then the front end takes over um, and that's that's my domain. Um, this was all, like the, the client were also aware of, um, of performance. Um, well, I'm not saying it's bad uh, by any means because actually... Um, some when you look at the our reports um through the new web vitals we actually come out really well um just on that like a desktop with a with a um good connection but anyway um i digress the the client actually noticed um or became aware of the lighthouse report which is something that we've been aware of for a long time um and i think that the the thing with the lighthouse report is the ease with which you can get like um, some some instant feedback really about your site and the the big score the the number at the top and that's something that would interest people high up in organisations like and look at it and think hmm that seems to be low like why are we this why is it this score so the client were actually aware and they made um, they made inquiries with us um, if we could just but they gave us general tasks like improve performance um, without really appreciating like that's a big subject. Um, so they just tasked us with that. We kind of uh, looked at the Lighthouse report and tried to do a few things which would make us a little bit better. Um, but just to, again, this, it felt to us like, like headline stuff, not really getting into the real nitty gritty of things. Um, and so we did a few things, but then afterwards um, we said, okay, so you're obviously interested in performance. Um, we're really interested in performance as well. We've worked together for a long time now. We have a, a really mature site. Um, so let's really, instead of like thinking about, oh, yeah, we need to add new feature and new feature and more components, let's really think about, like, are we giving the best that we possibly can to the end user? Um, and so that was something that we pitched as a general idea to the clients, um, and they were really interested by that. Um, I have to say that, like, and this is no disrespect to him from um, conversations that I've had with uh, with colleagues at Netcentric about the web performance topic. The clients themselves um, are happy to be led by by the experts, by um, by the people that they're paying to get this this stuff done. Um, they're happy to to take on advice. 
Um, and so it gave us a real opportunity to start digging. Um, and the, the amazing thing at Netcentric um, is that we have a guy, uh, Fabian, uh, who has been like a champion of performance uh, at Netcentric and really been vocal about this and attended as many conferences as he could, um, gathered as much information and knowledge as he could on the subject. Um, and so I actually went uh, to Fabian um, and he, him and his team and me uh, actually ran like an audit on, on our site. We covered so many things, like starting at the back end all the way through to, um, uh, to everything that we did on the front end. And it was really, really interesting. Um, came up with a, with a nice report from, uh, from the findings and made some recommendations to, to the client. I mean, the whole process was, was really in depth and way beyond like the headline grabbing lighthouse score. Um, and this is something that we presented, uh, to the clients, uh, a couple of weeks ago. And the response was, was really better than we could hope for. I have to say. Um, I think that it really pricked the interest of like lots of the stakeholders, which was just a, a fantastic thing. And it really sets us on a good path, I, I feel, for the next year at least um, to like, really have a, like a one-team vision of what we're actually going for. Yeah, I, wanted, I want to ask more about like the, the details of things, but um, I, I do want to highlight that it's really helpful to have access to our own experts i mean working at a large consultancy like we do yeah like it's innovative even that we have these um this little squad of performance experts um you know fabian armel inez others right that is um that's a great tool at our disposal and it really helps us but if you don't have that um, it can be quite overwhelming to sort of get started and find that. That's why tools like Lighthouse are super helpful to point you in the right direction and and get things started that way. Um, I I know that like I'm not the best at this. I mean, I know the theory. I know like what things to start with to uh, to to get the easy wins, and I know how to read the Lighthouse scores and even go into the Dev Tools and look at the performance tools within there to see like, hey, how's my frame rate doing? How's you know um, the the waterfall of, of requests how is that being set up but in terms of actual implementation yeah there's a lot there and it's that it's that same old thing with the front end it's like oh here's another thing that you should probably know <laughs> we, we need to know a bit of everything um that that for me can be quite overwhelming um besides having the help of the team like what did you do to sort of get yourself pointed in the right direction and what 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 are the I, I want to know some more specific things that you really delved into that were maybe the easy wins for you well actually um before we got fabian involved um and i and as i mentioned the the client had actually asked us to improve things um i'd actually started looking at how um what we deal the performance or the um the utilization of uh the code that we were delivering like so the the JavaScript and the the CSS, like what was the kind of usage um, percentages from that? And we've got the the um, the percentages from DevTools, which is really really useful. And actually, once you delve into that, um, in my case, I was like quite disappointed that we were delivering so much CSS that was unused. Um, and I think I mentioned last time that we spoke. Um, 
I worked, I then worked on that. Um, actually, no, it, 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 this was a different thing. I didn't mention this last time. Um, what I actually decided to do was I, I read about a few techniques um, of how we could optimize delivery for CSS, um, how we could improve that. Um, and I came across basically the same as uh, many of us do, just like trawl through some articles, trawl through some, and see if you can kind of put together what you think will will suit you. Um, the decision that I made in the end was that um, I decided to split all of my, at the time we were bundling just one giant CSS file, which I accept at the time when the when the project was set up, that was like best practice. That's what you did. But since then we'd switched to HTTP2. Um, and so that gave us the opportunity to, uh, to split the CSS again. Um, so the first step, uh, I thought, right, okay, so I'm going to split, we have components and templates. I'm going to split the CSS. So every component has uh, its individual CSS. Um, and I'm going to deliver that uh, whenever, the, whenever those components are used, whenever that template's used, whenever the components are used. Um, yeah, and just, just to give some context for listeners, um, the project we're talking about is within Adobe Experience Manager, which has its own uh, templating system and unique way of delivering the content. So it's not as simple as maybe with Vue or Angular, where you can bundle the CSS and that's sort of naturally done. This was an extra step that was not normal. Yeah, yeah, that is that is really worth mentioning. And I've, I've become so used to the, the environment that I forget sometimes the... the the um, other scenarios. But yeah, um, going back to this, so I decided that I would split um, each set of CSS uh, per component. I did that, um, switch things, uh, like use Webpack to actually just um, to split those. Um, and then, so I had that working and I thought, well, this is nice. This, this works really well. But then I got to thinking, well, actually for a mobile, I'm still delivering like a huge amount of CSS, um, which isn't really used. Um, well, which isn't used. Uh, and I, I don't want that to slow down the page load. So what I decided was, uh, uh, well, I investigated a few things, but what I decided was um, I was going to split by uh, breakpoint and then have the build split the component down into three different CSS files. So um, small, medium, large for instance. Um, now I have that happening. So, uh, and then um, actually like defer, call the, the CSS by breakpoint um, in the, in the HTML. Now here's the thing with the, with this, um, with this technique, the, the CSS for the uh, medium and the large are still loaded on a mobile device. So all the so the data comes eventually the data is the same, um, but it's the it's clever enough the browser is clever enough to know actually the only one that we need is the small version that's going to match to this breakpoint that's the only one we need so it prioritizes that and everything else um, does still load but after everything else is finished so the experience the perception is that it's much quicker. Um, and I really, like, honestly, I, the optimization of the, the, the utilization of the CSS that we deliver, um, I'm really pleased with. 
when we did the audit with Fabian, one of the sections was he was looking at the CSS and he actually said, oh, um, I don't think you can optimize this too much more. Um, this is like the best that I've seen in a project at Netcentric. And so like this, obviously like it's a nice uh, ego boost, but, um, but it was evidence to me that, yeah, this, this really worked. Uh, the other thing, um, which I just quickly mentioned was that during this process, I found, um, that splitting everything completely was like, it was kind of detrimental. Um, I ended up with like a common file, which loaded things like header, footer, logo. They're things that were always loading. Um, there was no point actually splitting them um, because they were always going to load on all the pages. Like it didn't matter what your entry point was, these things would be needed. So I just, so I bundled those. So there is still kind of bundling, but even within that bundle, because of the splitting, um, it still works it out. The, 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 the split still works out small, medium, and large. So you still get optimization, even though you are bundling something. That's amazing. I mean, that, that sounds like it is the, the true kind of success story that you want when you dig after this kind of a thing. Um, it, it brings to mind as well, like I, uh, at, at uh, our company, we have this badge system where we kind of give out uh, almost certifications, but not so serious as that um, for different topics. And one of the ones that I am the badge keeper of is CSS. And so um, I interview a lot of our peers for like high level CSS concepts. And we constantly have these podcast worthy conversations. And well, I'm sure we'll get some of them on to discuss matters, not just CSS, but everything. Um, but it, these one of the topics that we come back to again and again is performance within CSS because you can really dig down. It's not just, Hey, is your JavaScript performing well, which is also important or is your, um, you know, what, what is the, again, the waterfall of the uh, things loading, but you know, are your fonts performing well? Um, are your selectors also performing well, right? All of these things which contribute to the perceived speed of, uh, sites loading, you know, moving around and generally performance. It's, it's fascinating how much there is to, to learn here. Um, and one thing I'll touch on, uh, which is related to it, which still blows my mind is that, you know, Zach Leatherman, um, has a lot to, has had in the past a lot to say about, um, fonts in particular and font loading and there's this great page he put together where he did the hard research to go through all the different font loading strategies that you can do in order to give yourself the quickest loading time with the least effect on the user and no flash of unstyled text or flash of invisible text and i think the end solution was that you you figure out what the minimum viable font uh, that you need to load is the minimum number of characters. And literally there's build tools that can do that per page and literally say, oh, you're not using the letter U on this page. We won't include this in the, uh, the font that we generate as the starter for this page. But I mean, it might be as simple as just doing simple alphabet instead of the extended uh, alphabet and certainly dropping off like Cyrillic if you're not delivering it in uh, that uh, language set. Um, and, and then base 64 inlining that in the HTML. So it makes the HTML a little bit larger to load, a little bit larger to load, but there is no chance that the font will not be present when the text is seen. 
and then you do that for the regular font weight, and then you do faux for the italic and un, um, bold versions until you lazy load request those font variants to load. <laughs> it's just mind-blowing the the things that you can do to optimize everything that's going on. Yeah, that is like just picking up on the um, the fonts. There was something, um, a colleague of ours, uh, Armel. Sorry, Armel, I forget your surname, but Armel. Um, no. Could be. <laughs> I don't know. No, he's, he's one of my protégés. Yeah? It's Armel Ping Pingle. Okay, very good. Um, okay, so... He actually did a he actually did a blog post in Netcentric about a technique he'd seen for um, for reducing the number of fonts uh, on a site, and basically um, it was that if you take say say for instance you have three fonts uh, which I do on mine and they're all, but the the three fonts are just light regular and bold they're the same font but um, regular and bold versions and light so the technique is. Can you use CSS to take the light version and create the regular and the bold? Um, and just by overlaying like the, uh, the two fonts uh, on top of each other and playing around with the CSS a little bit, you start to see whether you can get this like perfect, which is doubtful, um, or whether you can get this close enough that actually you could, you could lose one font or maybe two. Um, and I actually read through this and I thought, well, I'm going to, I'll do a POC for the clients and see what they think. Now, the results that I got uh, were, were really, really, for me, really encouraging. For, to manipulate the light version of the font to be like the regular version of the font, there was virtually no difference across like any size of the font, um, regardless of line length or anything like that it was like it was close i mean i did the old thing where you put like green and red font colors so you can see the I overlap remember yeah yeah i did this um and i did that for the bold font over time it really went out um but then i started looking at how we were actually using the bold font and in and in the real world we're using the bold font for maybe like very short titles in a table for instance um, so really, it would make it wouldn't really make that much of a difference. Um, anyway, I put this page together just as something, and it, it meant that we could lose two fonts, which was I think they were like forty k each. Um, so you're, you're making good savings. Um, I, I sent this across to to the stakeholders, and it was about a fifty fifty split of people who wanted it and who didn't. Obviously, the designers were going to say no. Um, designers are, are yelling at us. Yeah, of course. Bit. Yeah, of course. They're going crazy. And even what, like when I took the first step, when I was reading the, the, the blog, before I even decided to do the POC, my, my thoughts were, oh, the designers are going to hate this. Like, and I get that. Like, you make, you make a living from this. You're an expert. They know the importance oh, it, of the font, of the, of, of the typesetting. Yeah, it's, it's that they, they, they see the the things that we don't see in this. It's that um, broken window uh, syndrome, right? Mm -hmm. Like you walk into a neighborhood and there's a broken window. You don't even see the broken window, but you think, ah, this is a dangerous neighborhood. Yeah. These little subtle background things that happen and fonts have that, this one pixel extra thing on the, 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 the decorator and it 
makes a psychological impact that I honestly don't have the eye to see, but they do. And so I get that it's important. But you're right as well that maybe it's less important than the speed that we can shave and get back um, by not having to include a separate font, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, the the thing that um, the thing that didn't disappoint me that they decided not to do it um, for various reasons. It wasn't just the designer. I mean, like the you were bas- I was basically telling them we we should change your entire site. We're going to get rid of these two fonts. We're going to so effectively we're going to change the entire site. I mean, when you start to factor in the testing time needed to make sure that everything is is on point, like you really you are asking a lot. So maybe that's something that we could do down the line if we really want to. Um, but the thing that didn't disappoint me was um, with performance from the things that I've read over the last few months um, is that there's always a trade off. So. Yeah, we're going to make this faster by um, not having these two fonts. That's that's a definite positive. But those little details that you've just talked about, that we're that other experts are saying, no, this makes a difference. Um, there we're there we're making a trade off. We're saying, okay, for this round, we'll we'll take that. We're we're prepared to uh, force the user to to download these two extra fonts because we want the experience to be like better we want and we think that in this case having the fonts correctly is worth that 80k so like and that's the thing with performance that um keeps coming back there is always trade-offs there's always you were all pushing in the same direction you're all pulling in the same direction but there are going to be points where you trade something um and so it really didn't disappoint me too much that I'd done that um, and that it had not gone that way. It kind of pointed to me that, hey, the stakeholders over there, they're now thinking, why would we not do this? Um, so they're all right. So now they're thinking about performance. Yeah, that's good. Uh, and it brings an interesting point, which is that you wouldn't have been able to even make that pitch if you hadn't had some sort of metric, some sort of measurements happening. And I do like that. I'm I'm at a phase in my life where I think a lot of the problems with the world can be solved by proper metrics and performance stuff. And that's probably nonsense. But um, I think there's some validity in it, which is to say, um, you should be able to say, okay, if I make this change, it's going to on average, or on this specific device, save this many milliseconds of load time, or time to interactive is this much faster. And so there's a couple of things that have been missing in that. One is that most people just don't have that um, measurement tool in place. Um, they don't have the things to even get started on those metrics, right? So, um, I, you know, you talked about like, okay, that whole site, it's going to be really difficult to see if we broke anything because etc if you had some sort of automated testing in place with visual regression tests then that wouldn't be such a conflict in fact you could just run that suite with the change and say this is what it actually affected but without that it's a daunting thing to get started and but that brings me into the 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 next part of this which is um that there are now some tools that have come out lighthouse was maybe you know one of the first ones that got big traction and people started using because so many of us use Chrome, um, whether that's good for the web or not. Um, but but now there's a new thing, which maybe you can talk about if you've looked into it more than I have, which is the Web Vitals. Um, it's a simplified 
I think, version of the uh, Lighthouse score. And you can go more in depth, but it's saying like, look, these are the three things that really matter most. Yeah, um, it is something that, I mean, I think it's often the case when you actually start looking at something seriously that that things on Twitter start jumping out at you. And it seems like all of a sudden there's like lots of things about the subjects that you're working on at the moment. Um, and so recently, well, I think this this last week, um, seen tweets going out uh, about Web Vitals um, from from Google, and what they're look, what this is is basically they're they're providing three metrics: um, the the largest contentful paint, the first input delay, and the cumulative layout shift. And it's kind of a a health check on your site, but it's really snappy. Um, and they they're basically saying these are like the things that we think are most important. Um, they're fairly uh, self-explanatory in the names, which is something that's not always the case with performance, I've, I've found. Um, but largest contentful paint. So this is obviously like the biggest, um, the biggest piece of, uh, of information or the biggest piece to your, to your page. Um, how quickly does that load? So for instance, if it's like a, you know, a hero banner at the top of the page, um, then how quickly is that loaded? Um, and what that allows you to do is say, if this is like, this is taking up so much space on your page, this must be like the most important thing. Like like, you, you're, you're dedicating so much real estate to this, that this must be the most important thing. So how quickly are you getting that in front of people? Um, and then next, uh, we have the first input delay. So when your page is loaded, how quickly can your, can your user use it? How quickly is there a response? If they click on a menu button, maybe they see your page loaded, but how quickly, if you click on the menu button, then what's the delay? So maybe you, maybe there's a, maybe you uh, download like a skeleton or something like that, or like, or you see uh, what looks like a complete page, but actually in the background, there's like tons of JavaScript going on. And if you click a button, uh, it doesn't work. And I go back to the rage clicking then. So like, then, then you've clicked the button like 10 times. Why the hell isn't this working? This website's crashed. I'm going somewhere else. Um, the third vital is, let me just look, uh, is the cumulative layout shift. So this goes back to something I talked about before. Is there anything more frustrating than a website that's loaded and you think all the content's loaded and then suddenly you're on a different site because you clicked a link or a button uh, yeah. and you've moved? Like you've you, the page moved, you didn't know it was going to move, but you clicked something else. Yeah. Um, and so that's not... Uh, the score for that is not is obviously not in uh, seconds, but uh, it does give a score um, and gives you like a green, amber, and red, like to tell you, hey, you have a problem here, or no, this is this is good. Yeah, and what what I like is that none of these are like make or break, right? We you can do what you can, and it's not always correct. I think it's even there in like the the homepage of this is you know some of these are not going to make sense for you or we're going to be wrong. Like that large thing might just be there because it has to be, and it's not the most important thing for you. Fine. But 
it's a good guideline to get you started on some uh, of the things that really matter to users. Like I just experienced that content shift the other day and it was so frustrating because it happened twice. Like I knew it was going to happen the second time and I still was like, oh, okay, I think it's already done. And I went to click and it shifted and moved and I clicked on the wrong thing. Uh, that was very frustrating. Um, the other thing that I like about this is um, that it builds into the best practices that we've been developing over the last handful of years, which is to say, starting to think about performance and starting to think about usability as well. Um, we've started doing things in the right ways so that when you click on something, there is a visual representation that it was clicked on, even if there's an asynchronous action that's going to happen afterwards. Um, and this now kind of rewards you for setting that up. So you're seeing a lot of people saying like, oh, I tried out uh, this uh, plugin that shows me my you know, uh, web vital score and I got greens across the board because I'd already been following the best practices. And I like that as well. It's kind of solidifying that, yeah, this is this is going to work if you're doing things well. Um, yeah, really. Like you, you, um, because it, the field is so big that it is nice to have like some validation, some like, oh yeah, you've done, you've done well, you've done the right things. Um, and it's, and I think that it can be so hard with the, uh, it can feel so hard because there's so many metrics. Um, and as you alluded to, some of them just don't make sense for you. Like some, some things you would be prepared to put up with because you want to, do something else in a better way or it's just not important to you maybe this maybe the the presentation you feel is more important than a quick than something else being fast um as an aside i'd just like to say that most of the time from statistics that i've read that's actually wrong like your main your main goal should be like make it fast um but yeah it's nice to it's nice to get some kind of reward and i think that that's why people really um um uh, gravitate to lighthouse scores because it's like if you if all you ever do for performance is look at your lighthouse score um and then just try and do things in the right way and then go back to your lighthouse score um in a couple of months time and you've improved then like that's still reward for doing the right thing that's still reward for investing like some time in it the biggest problem with the biggest problem I have with the lighthouse score is that it just varies so much, so much. Um, and you could explain that to yourself, but if it's really a tool that's being used by, um, non software engineers, just like company CEOs or, or something like that. Um, then if they see a fluctuation in a lighthouse score, they then instantly alarm bells are ringing where maybe they, they don't need to be. Yeah. And I, I think that there's another point that we should come back to before we sort of move into uh, the the last bits of the show, which is that um, the reason that we're focusing on performance is that study after study after study has shown that literally people just stop using your site if it is not performing well. And sometimes that doesn't seem to matter. Sometimes you're like, oh, I've done enough by bundling my JavaScript or breaking it in chunks and lazy loading. But if the new lazy loaded chunk is still two megabytes or whatever, that's not actually that much of a performance improvement. And and I see it most because you know I'm a power user. I know how to get around stuff. I generally will stick with my goal if I need to get something done, even if the 
thing I'm using is not performing well. But when I'm on my mobile, it's the worst. It And it's not that the mobile isn't that fast. It's that there's just not always enough RAM to get things done, I guess. And especially in the mobile browsers, yeah, it just sites perform really poorly there. And it seems like even if on the browser, it's fine. When I get to the mobile, it's really slow. And that can be the most frustrating experience trying to get something done. You know, little things like searching for something and waiting for the results to come in in this fancy thing, or I know it's done in like React or Angular and it's just not working. That it, It's not that I'll stop using it. It's that I will have a terrible time doing it. And the next time I'm asked to do use that site, I will just have a gut reaction of, oh God, not that again. Um, so it is really an important thing to to spend the time on and, yeah and yeah. I, I think i think that um with the mobile in with the mobile performance in mind um that if you really this goes back to principles really if you if you really focus on delivering the best quality like mobile experience then for sure like you're going to have a good desktop performance because if you if you're optimizing if you make it good um and performant on a mobile, then like the 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 experience is is only going to be better the more you go uh, into like um, a desktop, a laptop. Um, you would it, by taking care of one, the other takes care of itself. Um, so I think that real like I'm guilty that I don't test enough on mobile, and I don't really like sometimes sometimes I don't immediately plan for mobile um, where. I know that actually I probably should, um, but it is something that's really, um, really worth like starting with. Yeah, yeah, it definitely is. And then, you know, we, we talk a lot about, you know, responsive web design and doing mobile first. And one of the things, and this is a free tip for anyone that's going for CSS badge <laughs> um, uh, within Netcentric anyway, but one of the things I think is really important to understand is the reason that mobile first, at least in CSS, is a good idea is that by default, you are giving the browser only the simplest stuff that you need to get it looking right. And then it should scale until you need to change the styles. Whereas if you wrote the desktop first and then revised for mobile, you would have to send twice as much CSS to get the get started, basically. The browser would have to read through both rule sets and be like, oh, okay, we're not on this breakpoint. I will have to revert what I just drew in and use this instead. It just is a lot less there. And the same is true for JavaScript. So I, I find that is a really nice coincidence that if you focus on optimizing your site for a mobile, responsive, et cetera, in terms of all the stuff that you do, you will have a better performing desktop site as well. Yeah, for sure. Nice. Okay. So, um, getting close to our kind of time mark, I wanted to introduce a new segment. Um, we're going to move away from uh, listener questions for a while and instead focus on um, I, basically focusing on heroes, true front-end heroes that are, are working um, across the planet. And uh, each of us will sort of, and if we have guests in the future, just offer up someone and give them a bit of uh, encouragement and praise for doing the great things that they do. Um, I can start. Um, I wanted to highlight, yeah, there's a um, person within our organization. Um, she is very on top of the ball. She's really 
um, one of the highest level front-enders we have within the company, but she's gotten there through really determined work and is speaking at tons of conferences and has become a Google developer expert as well, really pushing the boundaries and being an inspiring role model, but also getting people started on things. So encouraging people to focus on performance and get started and take up responsibilities in that area. And then doing accessibility and getting people to work on accessibility matters as well. And then going into frameworks and build systems and so on. And I'm just continually impressed by her. So a big shout out to Natalia Vendito, um, one of our honestly true front-end heroes. Um, and uh, feel free to follow her on Twitter. Um, we'll put that in the show notes, link to her. Scott, what about you? Well, I'd just like to say as well, I'm, as you, as you are, continually impressed by uh, Natalia. And honestly, um, I don't know where she finds the time for everything because she's a mother as well. Um, so, like, I just, like, all props to her. Like, she's she's done an incredible job um, over the last few years, especially, like, her rise since I started at the company has just been incredible and it's all through very hard work. So, um, all credit to her. Um, I would like sticking with the performance, um, and the things that I've been reading a lot, uh, especially on Twitter just recently and the web vitals. Um, I would like to highlight, uh, Adi Osmani, um, who is an engineering manager at, um, at Google. Now, like it was, I don't think it's any surprise. I don't think it's a name that people haven't heard of. Um, but I think that his output, uh, his blogs, uh, his tweets, everything that the guy puts out there, I think is worth reading. Um, and I first heard about him maybe like six, seven years ago when I was working at a company in the UK. Um, and we just had this this uh, 21-year-old start at the company. Um, and he came in and he basically just started talking about Adi Osmani. Uh, this guy says this, this guy says that. And a few of us in the office were like, like, who is this guy? But this, but this young kid, um, he knew him and he knew all about him. And he was basically painting him as like God of front end. Um, and I think that since then I've kind of kept an eye on like his, his output. Um, and I think that he's just done some, the information that he puts out there uh, is just really, really valuable. And I think that any if if he recommends something, then it is worth reading. Um, it's like a guaranteed seal of, of quality. So I'd just like to highlight him as, uh, as like a front-end hero. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with you. I think that um, he's been the, the one of the pushing forces behind like focusing on performance within the web community um you know like okay we need intersection observer we need resize observer uh rather we we need um you know something to help people that just a general like like web vitals for example uh and lighthouse as well i mean this guy has really been on top of that and i, and I like that when you listen to him speak as well you see a lot of empathy there and i think that's a sign of someone that really cares about the community um there are a lot of other people we can highlight. If you have suggestions, send them in to us. I mean, hidden corners of the, the, the web and not everyone's on Twitter. So yeah, please um, reach out and we'll, we'll uh, feature them uh, next time and um, go on from there. Um, another 
thing that we want to add at the end of our shows is that, you know, any proper hero is a well-rounded one. And so we just want to share some simple music picks that uh, things we've been listening to. So, Scott, what is the favorite thing that you've been listening to lately? Well, um, I listened on repeat to the New Strokes album uh, for uh, a few weeks. Um, this is kind of like... Uh, showing my age, but and I've, I actually I feel like um, I was old to be listening to the Strokes when they first came out, but uh, even older now. Um, but man, it's called the album is called the New Abnormal, which seems really prescient uh, considering it was like released in the middle of uh, lockdown and as their first album for like seven years or something like that. Um, so they had no idea that this was going to happen, but then came up with a great title that's particularly relevant. But honestly, I really, I've really enjoyed it. Um, and like, I would recommend like, taking that in. What about you? What have you been listening to? What's been getting you through? Yeah, I, I have very um, diverse tastes in music and I'm debating what to actually share because I've got three different variations. I mean, I listen to a lot of, um, I don't know, like, what even the genre is anymore um electronic stuff i guess i don't know honestly i don't know what genre it is uh chiptune was a few years ago i've kind of melded into other stuff since then but then uh, there's also a lot of singer songwriter stuff and and classical music and I, and I think in this case i want to highlight the the classical music um so i've been listening to this artist uh Jop beving um j-o-e-p beving um he I don't know, just came out of nowhere into the classical music scene. Well, modern classical music a little while ago it was very nice piano pieces, really quiet. He he had to write them when his, uh, he was at his grandmother's house and she was sick. Um, and so he had to play very quietly and they're just beautiful, little, like Eric Satie vibe kind of music and, and darker um, uh, as well. But he's since progressed and gotten further and brought in some electronic influences as well and some, you know, uh, other instruments. It's just really interesting, I don't know, tangible music to listen to um, when you really need kind of contemplative stuff. And that's uh, as opposed to my normal um, listening cycles of like, <laughs> there's no gaps in, in the electronic music that I listen to. It's just pure noise for a while. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. Um, uh, every now and then I'll put that on. I'll, I, I like to also put it on as background music during stand-ups or, or other video conference calls I have because no one else can hear it, but it changes the mood, which is really fun. <laughs> nice. I'll check that out. I just, I just quickly looked at him and he really, like there's a picture of him and he really looks like a colleague of ours. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. It's amazing, actually. Um, so yeah, there you go. Um, okay. That looks like all the time we have for today, folks. So thank you so much for listening. Um, if you enjoyed the show, please like, heart, star us in your podcatcher of choice. Uh, those reviews and ratings are how ants, the algorithms that they have help people find our content. So the power to help is within you. If you have any questions or topics you want covered in our future episodes, send us a tweet to at Heroes Front End, and we will add it to our list. So until next time, Heroes, remember, with great front end power comes great responsibility. See you next time.